Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gutterblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you, Andrew. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Pretty quiet weekend, like yourself, I guess. Not a lot going on, you know. <sighs> struggling. Just, yeah. Struggling to think what we're going to talk about Bored. today. Bored, if yeah. anything. Yeah. Listen, this club, it keeps us entertained. We can't complain about that. Never a dull moment, it's fair to say. Uh, for for better or worse, for richer or poorer, for for Pepe or Suarez, whatever it might be, they definitely keep us going. Um, look, we have stuff to talk about, obviously. There was a signing last Friday. We announced was that? a signing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember? Remember that guy? Remember Genuinely, when- I think I might need to watch the FA Cup final again after this, just to remind myself that that <laughs> happened. It seems impossibly long ago. Isn't it crazy, like, in the, in the whatever it's been, two weeks, just over two weeks since we won the FA Cup, so much shit has gone down at this football club. It's mm. genuinely, genuinely crazy. But yes, we did make a signing, so we'll talk a little bit about Willian uh, a bit later on. But of course, the big news over the weekend was the departure of the head of football, Raul Sanyehi. It was all presented in a very amicable way, wasn't it? And it says it was like, ah, we just decided that, you know, we'll, we'll go our separate ways now. Thank you, Raul. Thank you, Arsenal. Every, everything's nice, lovely. Yeah. Thank you. There's a bit more nuance to it than that. There's a bit more going on than that. But um, what were your initial thoughts on the departure? I know his performance and and the work that he's been doing is something that we have spoken about quite regularly on the podcast. I know that some people were perhaps a bit tired of us um in inverted commas going on about it. Um mm. and maybe it clearly it was just a mad blogger's agenda that we had. Not certainly not one that a, a billion dollar corporation would ever take seriously. <laughs> no. no, I mean look, I, I can understand why from the outside people would have thought, well this is a bit tiresome and I, I get it, I completely get it, but it was it was really about trying to keep in focus some of the things that were going on at the football club and some of the the ways in which we were operating which didn't feel right or look right from the outside, you know? So mm-hmm. what 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 was your initial thought? I know because it didn't just sort of happen in a in an instant. There were rumors no. of course on on Twitter. Um, I mean, could there be anything more surreal about this season than finding out Raul Sanyehi was about to be sacked by a gerbil? 
I mean, it's like the icing on top of the fucking cherry on top of the cake of this mad season we've been on. Yeah, it was a mad sort of 18 hours between sort of Friday afternoon when mm. when the gerbil made his pronouncement. Um, I think it even appeared a couple of other places online. And then sort of obviously, you know, trying to chase that up and, and find out the truth. And by the time it was announced... Uh, we were pretty confident that this was happening mm. uh, if it hadn't already happened. And, it, yeah, I mean, seismic news, really. Um, I suppose I just have to make clear that I've sort of been working on this story all weekend as a journalist. So at this point, I'm going to sort of take my proper journalist hat off and sort of talk about it as a fan because mm. it's nice for me to have that opportunity. As a fan, I think my main feeling was one of relief because, as you say, this is a situation that's been ongoing for some time. There have been real concerns about the manner in which Arsenal are being run. And while I don't think that removing Raul Sanyehi comes close to fixing all those problems, I do see it as a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, likewise, likewise. I think it is a positive step. I think a number of times on this show, we, you know, we've said... People have said, "Well, what would you do if you were KSE? What would you, what would you do to change things or make things better?" And one of the things I remember talking about was, "Well, put in place some oversight. Put in mm-hmm. place a person who's got a clear view of everything that's going on at the club." Um, and I, I suppose one of the things that we will talk about down the line, perhaps, is that. Uh, the way that, that Raul Sanyehi was able to run the club um, was in some ways a, a symptom of the way it's being run generally by KFC mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. sense that they're they're quite hands-off um, and he found himself in a position where he had a, a lot of power at a big organisation and in some ways he, he sort of just fell into it because he was appointed as the head of football relations by Ivan Gazidis. He was supposed to work under Gazidis. Gazidis left. Um, then we had the Sven and Raul power play type thing, which played out and, and ultimately Raul won out. And sort of by accident, by accident, by design, by maneuvering, whatever you want to call it, he is the most important man from a football perspective at Arsenal Football Club because, you know, he he's the head of football. He's calling the shots in terms of recruitment and transfers and uh, mm. the manager and the head coach and, and all that kind of stuff. And it never quite felt like the right way for somebody to get that job. You know, it, it is one of the quirks of football, as I said in the podcast uh, on Friday with Clive, is that like people find themselves in position simply because they happen to be in the right place at the right time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just ask Vinay, you know, himself, who's, who's now running the club from the very top. And, and I say that knowing full well, a lot of people have a very high opinion of Vinay, but it is interesting that that is sometimes how the chain of command can operate, that you step into that gap. And I think it's interesting that Raus was not brought to Arsenal to do the job he ultimately will be remembered for doing. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I think that that's really important. I think it's not the job he did at Barcelona, either and you speak to people in Spain and they talk about someone uh, as someone who can execute things pretty effectively if you say I really want Neymar we need to go and get Neymar as a club by hook or by crook Raul can make that deal happen um being the person who is at the very top of the chain making those decisions is a different role 
And like I say, not the one Ivan Gazidis earmarked for him for him when he arrived. So I presume, I think we can assume that is part of why this has gone wrong, really. Yeah, look, we, we can focus on some of the, the deals that have happened and the relationships with agents and things that we have spoken about before in terms mm. of Kia Jarabjian, uh with Edu, Kia watching games in the director's box and and how, at best, you would say that was cosy and at worst, you, you would fear that things uh, and decisions were being made which weren't necessarily in the best interests of Arsenal. But you make a great point there and it's something I'd written down that, that really... What Raul was doing or the job that he was doing is not what he is best at, right? He is the fixer. He's the guy who was supposed to come in and work with Mislintat, work with Gazidis, um, you know, the head of recruitment. He was supposed to identify the talent that we were going to bring in. And mm. Raul was the guy who was going to make those deals happen. All of mm. a sudden, well, all of a sudden, hey, presto, Raul is the guy who's who's trying to you know set the direction and the agenda for a football club, and that's that's he's just not that guy, you know. That's not what his skill set is, what his expertise is. Um, so, no, and I also think um, I think sort of more generally, you know, without getting into specifics, I do think there was a bit of a culture clash with Raul. I do think his style of management was really forged in Barcelona where things do operate a little bit differently. And I think that the way he worked as the head of football or chief exec or whatever you want to call it uh, was uncomfortable for a lot of people at Arsenal and ultimately uncomfortable for the ownership. And I think that's why we're in the situation we're in now. Yeah. Um, we might touch on Mislintat a bit later on because that was obviously one of the one of the relationships that broke mm. down. And there have been a number of relationships, I think, you know, uh, over the course of Sanyehi's time at Arsenal, which have fallen by the wayside, which are, you know, un unfortunate for us as a club because some good people have left because um, because of the way uh, things have been operating. Um, but let's look at the, the bones of this then. Uh, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, maybe, uh, Arsenal mm. appointed a guy called Tim Lewis, yeah. as a non-executive director. He's a lawyer at Clifford Chance. He's worked with KSE before. Uh, he was part of, um, you know, doing the deal to buy out uh, Ali Sharuzmanov's uh, shares and ultimately the small shareholders as well. Um, so he's somebody that the, the KSE know very well. They obviously trust in him. Mm -hmm. um, as I said on, on my blog yesterday, when Unai Emery was... Uh, given the chop back in November, it was, uh, I got a text from somebody who said that uh, Raul was going to go too. And it was sort of suggested that there were things in the Pepe deal, which had con uh, raised concerns, I think for some people would be the right way of, of putting it. But obviously that didn't happen. Um, should it have set alarm bells ringing a bit earlier at Arsenal? Well, well, I think alarm bells probably should have rung last spring when when uh, Raul Sinier was looking to potentially extend Unai Emery's contract at a time where the team were underperforming and the metrics demonstrated as much. And, you know, they went on a pretty disastrous run towards the end of the season. I think that, for a lot of people, was the, the first big alarm bell ringing. Mm. Um, Arsenal had a pretty... <laughs> pretty extraordinary summer transfer window for a club that went in saying they had no money. Uh, you know, we know what went on with We Care to You and everything. Uh, the club ended up 
you know, signing Nicola Pepe for a club record fee, albeit one that was structured, you know, in a in a temporal sense, in a way that was favourably, um, that price tag raised a lot of eyebrows in the Premier League. Uh, clubs who had spoken to Lille about the player not just 12 months prior when he was worth I think less than half that but even a couple of months prior to Arsenal doing that deal um, believed that they could attain him for a lower fee so yeah Um, I I think yeah I I think that is uh, a concern and obviously actually I mean if Pepe arrives and scores 30 goals this season probably no one ever questions that you know but I think looking at the player we've all thought Okay, good player, but we overpaid there. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know, the, the information that's been uh, doing the rounds is that we overpaid in a, in a considerable way, not just a little bit, but quite a lot. And I think we should point out that that shouldn't be a reflection on Nicolas Pepe at all. Uh, you know, it's not his fault what the club paid for him. Uh, if that raised expectations, um, that's not on him either. So, you know... Yeah, and, and Lille were in a really interesting financial situation where they basically had to make that amount of money almost exactly in order to get themselves out of some trouble they were going to be in with French financial regulations. They basically needed about £70 million for Pepe mm. to make themselves financially that's viable. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, and they found it. They found it. And, and, you know, from what we understand, Napoli were also in the mix and sort of prepared to to pay around that mark too. But I, I do think that must have rung uh, alarm bells. And not just the deal, but I think the, the manner in which the deal was done, some of the intermediaries who were used to get that deal over the line. You know, I don't think any of that sat right. Um, mm. And so, so you're right in that while this has sort of felt like it's come very quickly in terms of six weeks since Tim Lewis arrived, 10 days since Rousseau's statement about the redundancies, it also has been brewing for quite a long time as well. Yeah, look, uh, people uh, inside the club I know have been concerned about some of the things that have been going on, uh, the sort of unfettered access between Sanyehi and the ownership. I mean, when Emery was there, there was no line of communication. Um, you, you do wonder why Sanyehi was so keen to extend Emery and why he was so keen to give him a chance when earlier this season or earlier last season it became very apparent that things were going uh, terribly wrong mm-hmm. um, you know you put in place someone like Mikel Arteta and maybe from there things start to to unravel a little bit because Arteta is somebody who's got a, a strength of character and who's got a connection now with Josh Kroenke uh, lines of communication to Josh Kroenke etc etc I mean there are just, when you look back on the various deals that we've done um, and the way perhaps some of those deals have come about that would make you, I guess, a sort of a weight of evidence, evidence in inverted commas, if you like, that just makes you concerned or would have made you concerned about the way things were going. Like, I wonder what happened with Lauren Koscielny last summer. Mm. Why did we not make a decision on him when we knew what he wanted to do, what was going on with him, uh, how unhappy he was. You know, I know people uh, might look at the way that he behaved and and, uh, say that's not acceptable and I'm not making any excuses for it. I think you have to look at why a guy who has been super professional for Arsenal for nine years acted out in the way that he did. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, 
basically what you what you realise here is that it's not been a good three years for Arsenal Football Club. And you can you can look for a, the smoking gun, but actually you don't really need one to make an assessment on Raul Sanye's time as head of football. It's been a period in which Arsenal haven't been brilliantly governed. And, you know, I think that's putting it pretty kindly. I mean, it's been a period of decline. And there are so many different factors that input to that. And you can cite Koscielny, you can cite Pepe, you can cite the relationships with agents, you can cite our Premier League performance, you can cite continued faith in Unai Emery in spring of last year and then in autumn of last year when he was drastically underperforming. You know, you can cite bringing Denis Suarez in on loan. You know, you don't need to find something super dodgy to look at it and say, well, this wasn't going well. Yeah, Do you look, know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And people will say, look, the decline had set in before that. And I think that's true. Yeah, you know, there's no question well. that, that, you know, we, we spent a couple of years at least under uh, Arsene Wenger worrying about the direction of the club and where we were going and performance levels and all that kind of stuff. So it's mm. not as if this is just under uh, Sanyehi's watch or this is all to do with him. But he did really, uh, if you look at the, the, the performance levels, he didn't do anything to uh, arrest the decline. And in fact, this season, we finished eighth, just scraped into eighth on the last day of the Premier League season. Uh, we were facing the prospect of, of no European football for the first time in 25 years. You know, so from those, even a basic performance level, uh, you, you have to look at the work that he did and say he didn't do a particularly good job. Well, I think you've got to judge people by the standards that they sort of um, set for themselves. If they set certain targets, I think you've got to measure them against that. And if you look at the things that Sanye was on record about, things like we can outsmart the market, things like we won't allow players to go beyond two years of their contract remaining, you know, we will sign or sell at that point. By his own deliverables that he set up, yeah. he has failed. Um, so I think even sort of setting aside, you know, all the speculation and discussion as to, you know, <laughs> how exactly Arsenal has been run in recent months, I think it's very easy to look at it and say this wasn't going well. And I think uh, that doesn't mean that he did nothing good. You know, I think when we look back at Sané's tenure, we might look at signings like Kieran Tierney or Gabriel Martinelli and think they were positives. Yeah, Fine. yeah, 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 yeah. But... <laughs> the weight of evidence, the balance, uh, I think to me suggests that, you know, this this was not particularly healthy. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you're right to point out that not everything he did was was bad. But I think the legacy that he leaves is not at all positive. You know, mm. I, I think mm. there are some good aspects to some of the signings we made. Tierney, Martinelli, maybe Pepe, depending on, on what he does next season. Um. But you know, overall, I don't think I don't think it was a healthy situation. I don't think it was healthy for the club. Um, I do wonder quite how much damage has been done and how long it will take to fix it. In terms of the way we're we're going to operate from a recruitment point of view, and I think we've got some questions on that, so we'll we'll leave that for the yeah. moment for the moment. But when you when you look at what happened with the Tim Lewis appointment, and within six weeks. Raul Sanyehi is gone. Mm -hmm. um, 
it doesn't really add up to me that this was an amicable parting of the ways. I mean, I think some of the spin that's doing the rounds, uh, you know, has been ridiculous. The idea that Raul was concerned about the 55 job losses and that's why he decided to go, you know, it, it just does not add up. Um, There are things things we can say and things we can't say. And there are things that people need to look at and make their own minds up on. But I think when when the ownership appoint a non-executive director to examine all aspects of the club and all of a sudden, right at the start of the transfer window, when you need your head of football, when he's directly involved in a lot of the work that you're going to be doing at this time, for him to be out the door like that, suggests that this is more than just a, a decision, a mutual decision um, to, to go separate ways. This is my opinion, but you don't sack, and I, I use that word uh, deliberately, your chief executive essentially on a Saturday morning um, because a hamster has tweeted about it. A gerbil. A gerbil. Apologies. Unless something pretty serious has gone down. Yeah. That, that, I mean, you know, you, you don't foreground Raoul in the redundancy announcement. I, I don't think, unless, you know, unless you're thinking he's going to be there for some time. I, I really do think that the dramatic acceleration of this from Tim Lewis's appointment, mm. from the redundancy announcement to the announcement that Raoul was leaving, you know, suggests that there was a, a catalyst in that. And, um, I mean, we reported this on The Athletic this morning, but this doesn't happen without Tim Lewis. And people are quite clear on that. And that's not because... I'm not trying to say that Tim Lewis is our saviour and some glorious white knight, but what he is is someone who the Cronkies listen to. And, actually, some of the grievances and some of the issues around Sanyei have been held by what we would call the traditional board for some time. But those messages have not been heard. Uh, And I think Tim Lewis's presence in London created a a bridge, essentially, between the board, restored some power to the board and played a part in in what's happened and unfolded in recent days. Mm. Yeah, I think that's pretty obvious. I think it's pretty obvious. Um, I've gone blank here now. That's fine. Uh, it's quite complicated because you're sort of trying to think yeah. what you can say. Yeah, I mean, I think you referenced um, the David O'Leary situation. And, uh, you know, I'm not yeah. saying that David O'Leary is the guy that we need at board level, but he was a guy who the traditional board wanted to appoint to the uh, executive board or the executive mm-hmm. committee. And that was blocked by Raul mm-hmm. Sanyehi. Um my understanding of that was the the reasoning behind that was like O'Leary has a lot of football experience, even if in recent years he hasn't been managing. Uh, but, you know, he, he is the club's record appearance holder. He has uh, plenty of experience in management um, and in the game, but also somebody who would provide a measure of oversight into what was going on at, at various levels uh, of the club. And that was blocked. Mm-hmm. Um And look, you know, if you have some power in an organization, the last thing you want to do is give it away or dilute it. So I I see it from, I see it from Sanyehi's point of view, but I do think that, you know, KSE's 
duty was maybe to give that greater consideration at the time rather than allow it to be just dismissed because of because of the sort of trust that they had in, in Raul. And I think some of that comes from the fact that, that he was recommended very highly to them by, by Ivan Gazidis, yeah. who they had a great deal of faith in. Um, Ivan, who, what is the, the opposite of King Midas in the sense that everything you touch turns to shit? <laughs> um, you know, but that, that's, this is what I mean about um, the way things have been run. And it's just like, well, Ivan says Raul is good, therefore Raul is good. We trust Raul and let him get on with it because we're the distant owners and we don't know that much about football, so we'll put our trust in the experts that we have in place, that we trust in because, well, Ivan said, and he must be a good guy. Look, he worked at Barcelona. He knows his shit, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, that, because I feel like you don't want owners that interfere do you know what I mean? You don't want owners that tell people what to do. You want you want the experts to be given uh, the bandwidth to operate to the best of their capabilities. I suppose it's it's the recruitment process, isn't it? It's yeah. It's, it's your experts have got to be good experts. Your experts have yeah. got to be the, the best in the best in class, if you like. Um, you know, look at the processes. Look at how you hire. Look at how you appoint people to key positions. And I think this is something that you know will come up maybe with with, with Vinay um, and and his progression. And maybe it is a, a good progression from a career point of view. But you can understand why people might have a, a few concerns. In that regard, um, but I mean, yeah. So, and just to say, I do think one of the sort of subplots of this, as I just touched on, was is that the you know the conventional structure of owner, board, executive committee had been kind of subverted a little bit. At Arsenal, as far as I could see, um, in recent seasons, where the power pretty much all lay with the executive and the board's role, it had become almost ceremonial. And I do think that what's happened here. You know, crucially, Rao wasn't appointed to the board when it was restructured, unlike Ivan Gazidis, who was a board member. And then adding Tim Lewis to that board, giving a level of oversight, giving a direct relationship with the Cronkies. I think it has restored a little bit of that hierarchy. And I think that that is actually an incredibly healthy thing. And to their credit, you know, the Arsenal Supports Trust, for example, have been advocating for a stronger board for quite a long time. And I think in, in this decision we are seeing the benefit of that. And it's quite a dramatic turnaround from Sir Chips basically walking out because he felt he didn't really have a say in things. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you view this as, as, as a kind of opportunity in a way? I wrote about it today in, in the sense that, you know, KSE have always been this kind of distant hands-off owner because when they took over, when they first got involved, Finger was producing top four and everything was going up, you know, uh, TV money was going up, broadcast money, uh, gate revenue, commercial revenue, all those things were going up. We were top four. Like, why would you, why would you poke your nose in if you don't have the expertise to do that? Like what could Stan Kroenke come along and, and contribute, you know, from, from a footballing perspective, not very much. Mm. And, you know, if you're dealing with somebody like Arsene Wenger, who is, um, uh, you know, whatever you think of him, an amazing orator, an amazing speaker, a very convincing uh, talker when he speaks about football, when he speaks about the game, when he speaks about how things should work and, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're Stan and you're sort of enthralled to this this man with with encyclopedic knowledge of football, you're not going to get involved 
really. And then mm. Ivan was there, and they sort of got more involved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then, you know, when Ivan left, they made this decision to go with the the, the two headed um, approach with with Raúl and Vinay. And I'm not sure that was the right decision at the time. I think that created this this sort of power vacuum in a way, uh, which which has caused some of the problems uh, that we've seen, right? So, yeah. so now, though, having had this eye-opening experience that maybe some of the people who you think are, are great are not that great, or maybe the people who, who you've put in place to run Arsenal Football Club in the best interests of Arsenal Football Club have maybe been sidetracked a little bit along the way. That that what you want from them and what they're delivering are not necessarily the same things, right? So do you think in some ways there's an opportunity here for KSE to sort of say, okay, right, well, we've been hands-off and we're, not, we're still not going to come in and be like the owners and we're going to... Um, um, what's the word I'm going to use here? Uh, micromanage every aspect of the football club. They still need to put in place the right people to run the football club. But do you think they might change the way or at least consider how they put those people in place? I hope so. I always remember someone who worked at Arsenal once said to me, I think I was slagging the Cronkies off or something like that, and they said, the Cronkies are really good owners if they've got the right people there. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I know people will take exception to that, but I think it's an interesting point. Like, they will let people run the club. Um, it's just absolutely essential that those people are the right people. And I think they need to... Uh, I mean, to sort of push on with what I was saying, if I was them, I would be strengthening the board further. I don't know if it would be David O'Leary or someone else, but I would be bringing in people who are on the ground, especially given the sort of geographic problems of you know Josh and Stan not being physically present at all in London at the moment. I'd be providing more oversight there, and I'd be letting those people you know feed into kind of executive recruitment, yeah, uh, as required. And I, I would I would make sure that top down structure was in place so that as the owner, you know, I I could. Uh, exert my influence and and have the board there to kind of safeguard and manage the company. I mean, that seems straightforward and obvious to me. And I think that while I'm pleased this change has been made, I have to be honest, I am pleased about it. Um, I don't think it absolves KSE. And I think something they're a little bit guilty of is just being too slow in a lot of cases. And, you know, this has happened now. It's come to a head now. But maybe, as we sort of started out by saying, it should have come to a head earlier. It's really funny because Raoul's personal statement, which I'm sure you've read, which did the rounds on social media, kind of blamed COVID for his departure. And while I don't think that's true at all, in a funny way, without COVID, it doesn't happen. Because without COVID, Arsenal aren't in such dire financial straits that they need to bring someone in to overlook the accounts, make sure everything's in order... And, you know, nor do they probably put someone on the board to talk to them because they can probably fly to London and back. So mm. it has weirdly taken this kind of freak set of circumstances for the ownership to intervene. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it depends how you look at it, or how you look at the appointment of Tim Lewis. Is it because things are so bad at the moment and, you know, every aspect of the club has to be analysed um, to mm. the nth degree? Or was it... 
in some ways, like uh, just a, uh, like I said earlier, a weight of so-called evidence, things that weren't adding up that needed to be looked at and needed to be addressed. Some of the relationships, Maybe. some of the deals that we'd done, it, it, it just became impossible not to say, well, maybe there's nothing untoward going on here. And I'm not saying there was anything untoward going on, but this is something we need to have a look at. Oh, we've had a look at it. And now the head of football is gone. Yeah, I, I mean, that's true. But to my mind, that's still too late. But that, that's all. I, I sure, still sure, think, sure. you know, I'm these not... discussions were happening long before Tim Lewis arrived, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so in that respect, I'm glad that the ownership have acted. And clearly, I think this does come from the ownership. I mean, Arsenal are effectively on record about that. You know, Vinay can't sack Raul. It has to come from the very, very top. Um, or can't ask Raul to leave, however you want to put it. Um, and, it's and, a and mutual, think, mutual decision, of course. Of course, yeah, incredibly mutual. But uh, it's really interesting. I mean, I have spoken to quite a few people who think... Stan himself would have taken, uh, what's the word? Would not have taken kindly to the way the club was being perceived. Because while you can't buy class, you can buy a club that has certain intrinsic values and a certain reputation. And when that is tarnished, it is not good for you or your investment. Yeah, look, I mean, it depends how you you, um, interpret that, like... Uh, is is um, the 55 job losses that obviously were sanctioned by KSE. How does that fit into your your class? Very true. You know, so it, 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 works, it works both ways there. But um, look, Raul is gone. That's it from, from him. And I'm glad. And I think uh, we need to move forward. And I think we've got a better chance of moving forward um, without him. Uh, so I'm I'm feeling positive about that, and I just have a question here because we'll we'll move on just to talk a little bit about Edu and Arteta because they now have a, a bit more responsibility. Um, AFC Met says, "Are Arsenal now structurally set up well for the future? Technical director and head coach working in tandem for players. Only one CEO at the head of uh, of the club now. It seems clearer. So in terms of like an operational structure." Um, you know that there isn't quite the same dilution, you know, between the business side of the club uh, that that I think Vinay is still going to be operating and and have the the, the most responsibility for. I think he mm-hmm. even said in the statement, the interview he did yesterday, that that uh, Edu and Arteta are the are the experts. You know, obviously decisions have to be made at board level, but they're going to be the ones who are driving the footballing decisions, whether that's playing style, recruitment, all of the things that we are invested in as football fans, that's going to be their purview now. So how do you, how do you view it from that point of view before we get into the individuals involved? Uh, I think it's definitely a more streamlined structure. Um, I I can't really talk about it without talking about the individuals, I have to be honest, because I have a nagging worry, to be honest, that, uh, yeah, I I mean, people could probably guess what I'm going to say, but when Edu arrived, I was very full of hope. Do you remember on this podcast, me basically saying that for things to work out, he had to be brilliant and he had to effectively be sensational at his job. I have some concerns about his capacity to do that. 
And I think that if one of the concerns with Sanya, he was, for example, the, the close links with certain agents, I don't think you've solved that problem as long as Edu is still in place. I think that's. I think it's reasonable to have some concerns on that level for sure, and I think it's also reasonable to have uh, some concerns about, you know, the work that he's going to do um, and has done. Whether you know, if you're being really kind, you might say that he's only been able to operate um, in as far as Raúl has allowed him to operate. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, maybe that's true, maybe that's not. Maybe he could have been stronger. Um, I do think, I mean, if I were the owners, certainly I would have some some concerns about the relationship with Kia. I don't know if people, um, not everyone who's listening to this will have been uh, listening to the the Arsenal Vision podcast over the weekend. Tim Stillman did a, a nice bit on Edu. I think it's f- uh, for one of their Patreon pods. And he laid out some stuff about Edu, which would give you a bit more faith about him in terms of, you know, what he can do uh, if he is allowed and the kind of things that he can do from a footballing perspective perspective but i would say this i would say that that he has got a lot to prove there's going to be a lot of focus and a lot of spotlight on him isn't there over the over the coming weeks and months um because there's, there's there's now a huge amount of responsibility on him to deliver yeah absolutely and i think um I have to say as well, I think Hasfami is a name we will hear more about uh, in the coming weeks and months because um, his role becomes pretty critical, I'd say, at this stage. What, what is his role? So he is the he is a contract negotiator, contract specialist who came from Team Sky. Um, what is interesting is that in certain negotiations of late, for example, Aubameyang's contract, he hasn't been doing them. It was Rausenyehi who was leading those talks, um, mm-hmm. which shows you, I think, that his role is not sufficiently defined and maybe he's not been granted uh, quite the freedom. Uh, you know, Ra- Raul was a guy who was very hands-on, should we put it like that? Um, I think that Hasfami's role is really important because I think in a technical director model, it is dangerous when the guy choosing the players is the same as the guy negotiating for the players. I think that if you can create a separation between the technical and the financial, it leaves itself a lot less open to bad things. <laughs> yeah. That's that's just my opinion about how you should run a football club. Sure, I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. And so I think, you know, if Edu's job is... To, if, if Mikhail's job is, I need a right-back, and Edu's is how about this right back and at that point someone like us or similarly qualified takes over and handles the financial dimension of that within the parameters that are set by Edu and Vinay or whoever it might be Mm. that strikes me as healthy healthier shall we say yeah yeah I wouldn't disagree with that at all Um, again could you make the argument that that maybe the person in that role has been somewhat restricted in terms of of how they can operate um yeah you know yeah. If, if 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 he is the chief contract negotiator why is our head of football negotiating a contract with our best player you know what ultimately yeah he he's junior to to round in those situations or has been and so i think if we're going to be fair to edu and we're going to be fair to huss 
I think, you know, they have to be given this opportunity to prove themselves. And wow, I mean, they've landed right in the middle of an opportunity of sorts in that we are at the outset of a transfer window. Um, and it will be, there's a hell of a lot of work to be done at Arsenal. I mean, mm. it's not just buying players and selling players, you know, in this window. There are, I think, 14 players whose contracts expire in the next two years. Arsenal have an enormous amount of work to get through. Yeah. Um, and it will be fascinating to see how much that's impeded by Rao's departure, how much they can pick up the slack. Clearly, they feel internally they have the, the appropriate people to do so. Let's hope they're granted a bit more authority and we can make a better judgment on them. Just on, you know, the Edu thing, I heard Tim Stillman's thing and I've written about it as well, about Edu in, in Brazil with Kia. That is a relationship that goes way, 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 way back. That is not Rao's relationship. That's something that came to the table uh, you know, via Edu, primarily. They've got so much history that if that if anyone has a concern about that, and I know there are varying degrees of concern, some people do not care at all. But if you do, Edu either has to sort of shape up on that front or it will just continue. Well, look, I mean, I think the optics of what happens over the next few weeks will be, will be crucial. Um, I don't know if you can... Uh, do any more deals for Kia Jurabjian players without it raising... Surely Edu's smart enough to know that, right? Yeah, yeah, surely. And look, you know, uh, we we spoke earlier about uh, contract negotiations and, you know, the one of the things that Sanye, he said he was going to improve was contract management at Arsenal. Mm. Players who were getting into the final year of their contract, the final two years of their contract, you know, players leaving for free... All of those kinds of things. Again, if you're being kind, you would say it's because of the influence of Sanyehi that they haven't improved. Um, so again, if there's spotlight on Husfami or whoever is going to be dealing with contracts, um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Are we going to it hand will. out extensions? Are we going to move players on? Are we, you know? I mean, as as for Arteta, mm. by the way, I think this really just strengthens his position. And I think that, you know, the club really recognise they've got something a bit special there. And uh, this will only increase his authority. Mm. I mean, he is more and more, and I've said this previously on the on the show, he is more and more the Arsenal manager mm. than the head coach. Increasingly, yes. Uh and I think that was quite clear early on that he was going to be that kind of guy who, who wanted authority in these situations. But I mean, literally, the sort of hierarchy is kind of <laughs> being rejigged and restructured accordingly, where, you know, there are less other voices on the football side and his voice grows louder. Um, and ultimately, I think he will be the defining factor in what happens to Edu. I really do. Like, if he says. I love Edu, I think he's great, then Edu's probably safe. If he goes, oh, I've actually got a mate who I think would be a brilliant technical director, mm. then Edu should be worried. <laughs> yeah, well, look, uh, that's that's not the way we should be appointing a technical director either. If we decide Edu's not the right guy, just because Mikel Arteta likes somebody isn't the, the reason we should give him the job, you know? That's no. kind of part of why we are where we are right now. So that's what I'm talking about when it comes to to processes and 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 putting in place the right kind of structures and the right people in in the right areas. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I mean, what do you think Arteta is going to be? How do you think he's going to be feeling about all this? I, I, I have a suspicion that he'll be quite pleased with the way uh, events have played out. You know, obviously it strengthens his own hand, as you said, and, and gives him power. But I just feel like the way he talks about football and the way he talks about the culture and the way he talks about the way things should be done didn't really tally completely with the way things were being done. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, he's going to have more of a say now and I think he'll value that. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's having a little bit of a freak out just at the timing. I do wonder if he's like, oh God, we're in a massive transfer window for this club. How disruptive is this going to be? It would be weird if he didn't worry about that, right? I mean, Raul was across a number of negotiations for the club. Aubameyang, you know, but there are others too. I mean, Gabriel, party, So... You know, that that would be a, a worry. But I think in the long run, I think generally it will be to his benefit. And I think that he can probably recognise that. And I, I'm fascinated to see how it will change Arsenal's approach to recruitment. You know, to what degree that diversifies at this point. Do, do, you, think it's, do you think it's better that if you have a manager or a head coach that you really believe in, his involvement in the recruitment as opposed to somebody who just gets given players seems like a more logical way to operate if you like doesn't it if like Mikel Arteta like we've done the Pepe uh, Zaha thing before like Emery wanted this and they gave him that Mm -hmm. you know it feels like Arteta wants specific things and if he's more involved in the individuals that are coming in rather than simply positions, Hmm. does that not give him a better chance of succeeding? I don't know. I mean, it's a really interesting one. We wrote about this again this morning where, you know, people close to the club have talked about how Arsenal worked really hard to move away from a kind of Wenger-ish manager model. Um, And now they seem to be headed back there. Yeah, but, but you know, okay, maybe the first iteration of it didn't work. And maybe, you know, it, it didn't really work when you look at the performance, you know, to do it the way we were doing it. Like you have the coach, the coach gets the players, you work with the players. That's who you're getting. It's your job to get the best out of those players. Mm. But if a coach plays a certain style of football and you don't give him the players to play that style of football, there's only so much culpability a coach has in terms of performance levels. Yeah, I think what it comes down to is the synergy between the coach and the technical director. I Mm. actually think that's the crucial component. I mean, Pep Guardiola, you know, has people in that position above him. You know, he is the coach of Man City, but they have a very shared vision of what a Manchester City player looks like. And he's, you know, important in those discussions. Mm. Um, I do think that the model can work. I think what remains to be seen is, is Edu the guy to to dovetail with Arteta on it. And yeah. it's it's really hard to say from where we are. They do they are incredibly complimentary about each other in a public forum, mm. but then they're likely to be, aren't they? Yeah, just like the departure of Ralph Sanya, he was uh, an amicable mutual decision taken by all parties. You know. Mm. I mean look yeah, I I think that they are um they have, you know, collaborated relatively well from what I understand. Um 
so thus far. So maybe it will blossom into a beautiful thing. Uh, that's what Arsenal need to happen. Well, I ho- yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I think people will have perhaps more faith in Arteta because of what he's done, winning a trophy in his first season has, has uh, you know, given him a, a great deal of um, leverage, authority, or, or, or faith. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that's right. When you achieve things, you know, people are going to have some faith in you. I do think the jury is out a little bit on Edu, but it would be great for Arsenal. It would be great for us if, you know, that relationship between Arteta and Edu was a really good one from a from a recruitment point of view, from, you know, putting in place the structures at the football club um, that hopefully um, we'll, we'll see as well into, into the future, you know. But look... Things happen in football and things um, fall apart in football. You look at what's going on at Barcelona, for example, at the moment. And, you know, this is one of the mm-hmm. biggest clubs in the world. It's an absolute mess. So, you know, things can change pretty quickly. will walk into a job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He'll go in there and sort <laughs> that right out. Him. He'll go in there and sort, sort that right out. All he needs is to sign David Luiz, Cedric Suarez... And, uh, we can do him a deal. Yeah, we'll do him we a deal. We can get him a good price on those guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating with Edu. And, like, I, I wish him all the best. I just... Just because he played for Arsenal, you know, I, I don't want to give him a free ride in this scenario. And I think... Yeah, the, the jury, as you say, is very, very much out right mm. now. Yeah, well, look, it's all there to prove, and hopefully, you know, he can step up and, and uh, you know, rise to the challenge, if you like. Because he has been willingly or otherwise I don't know very much in the shadows but there's no hiding place now given everything that's going on and given the importance of the role that he has at the club you know like you said we need him to be good we need him to be good we need him to be real good yeah Mm. Um, we haven't even talked about the signing that we made who was that? I can't remember (laughs) when when was that? so much has happened yeah, I don't know, years ago. Um, years ago. Should we do that in part two? Yeah, like let's do it in part, part two. One. Yeah, this is a long part one. We're at 50 minutes now, more or less. So we'll do that. Okay, we will take a break and we'll come back with your questions and more in part two, including some Willian stuff right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, uh, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And we don't really have a Willian specific question, James. Everyone's forgotten about him. Everyone's kind of forgotten. Um, I enjoyed the little snippet of information that was in your article this morning on The Athletic about how the Willian signing actually took place at the home of Kia Jurabchin, um, mm. which is, even with the COVID situation, kind of extraordinary. Yes, ordinarily, those things would take place on an Arsenal premises. And yeah, the, the kind of reasoning we were given was that it was COVID-related and there was an outdoor space available but, you know, there are other outdoor spaces in the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I did find that quite mm, interesting and a clear sign, I think, of sort of how comfortable and cosy, shall we say, some of the relationships have become. Uh, and I find that uh, concerning. And I know a lot of people around the club found it concerning, too. And it wouldn't surprise me if things like that played into the decision that was made uh, over the weekend. Mm. Um as for the player themselves, funnily enough, I'd there's sort of only, just there's, about... a, there's only one of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, I had sort of just about got my head round it from a technical perspective before all this blew up. I mean, I, I do have my concerns about the length of the contract and I do wonder what Willian might look like in year three of that pocket. Grey hair, I imagine. That mm. beautiful hair all grey. Um, but I do think he will improve us substantially in the very short term. I think he's better than what we've got for next season. Mm. What yeah, do you think? Pretty much the same. Like, mm. Arsenal giving a 32-year-old a three-year deal is is almost unprecedented. I cannot remember the last time a 32-year-old player got a three-year deal. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this because I was when Jens Lehmann signed, I don't know how long his contract was. I think it might have been three years. I mean, Petr Cech would be one as well, who I think Goal, got a three-year yeah. deal. Our goalkeeper is different, yeah. I, I'm trying to think of outfield players. Um and it's very difficult to say. Uh, I cannot actually think of one. Arsene Wenger was so opposed to it, wasn't it? He'd get the occasional golden oldie in on a sort of short-term deal. Mm. I mean, we did it with um, Lichsteiner, Stefan Lichsteiner, for example, where you know he came in on a free transfer, but it was a year, and maybe we had an option, and you know. But I can't. Yeah. I can't remember any outfield player of that age getting that kind of a deal before yeah I mean I'm trying to remember how old Oleg Luzhny was when he joined I think he was only in his late 20s so yeah it's um, it's it's a it's a very long contract um, but I I have to say I think I've been a bit unfair on Willian as a player I think he's much better than I had given him credit and it's because I don't watch Chelsea very much and I don't watch Brazil but speaking to lots of different people who have seen more of him, 
you know, the the opinion seems to be and the stats seem to bear out he is a good player. Yeah, I think he's a good player. I don't have any doubt that he can contribute to us next season. I just feel like in the overall scheme of things, in the wider context of um, mm. the whole Kia relationship thing, which we had concerns about and which I'm sure played a part in the departure of, of Sanyehi, um, the age our inability or, or, or difficulty in moving players on when they get to a certain age. We've already got some of those situations going on at the club right now. I just wonder why you would potentially inflict another one on yourself unless there is some sort of... I mean, there's no assured exit plan, is there, of, of Willian after 18 months or two years? You know, some of the no. markets that you might have said, OK, could he go to China? In the, in the, the, the COVID world... Is that really an option? Is that what's going to happen? I, you know, I don't know. So, uh, and he wanted to stay in London. I mean, that's why he's moved to Arsenal. Yeah, because he's very happy here. I mean, one thing you can say about Kier, his his track record at moving his clients on from Chelsea wasn't too bad. He did it pretty successfully. Um, so th- hopefully there's yeah, something one, like that. One of them the- just came to us. Yeah, <laughs> he's still doing it. He's still, he's still doing, doing it. Still I mean, at it. Fucking hell. The thing is. This is why I think the discussion about the sort of manager versus head coach model is is interesting because I think it's pretty clear from what we've learned and from what he said publicly, Mikel Arteta really likes William as a player and wanted a player like that. Um, I think, I think so. Where if a technical director model is functioning properly, the way that should sort of play out is that Arteta goes, "I want William." And then the because te- his view as a head coach is short term, and that was how Ralph Sanier put it. He was like his his you know he's looking at the short term. I want to win the next game, basically. It, as the technical director, it's your responsibility to say, well, I have to take more of a mid to long term view of this team's progress. I have to look at the next five years, not the next five games. And so it's their their responsibility really to say mm. this is not. A sensible deal for this club, right? But do you think, honestly, that that the Willian deal came about because Mikel Arteta specifically said, "I want Willian, get me Willian on a three-year deal," or was it a case that he was asked, "Would you like Willian? We can get you him pretty easily." I think I think it's probably the latter, but I don't think Arteta. I suppose what I'm saying is, in his, in his job description as it stands, it's not Arteta's job to care if it's three years or not. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of not his problem. That is the job of the technical director, mm. to make a decision on whether the the length of contract and the amount it's going to cost the club is appropriate. And that's another reason that I have my nagging doubts well, there. Well, I would suggest, and I... You know, I will happily be proved wrong on this, but I would imagine the contract length for Willian was more to do with Sanyehi than Edu, I would say. I think, okay, maybe, but then he's not been doing his job. Uh, we come back to the issue of whether he's allowed to have that kind of input. Right? All, all I can say is I think that's generous. I think I think we might be affording Edu a bit of generosity there. Maybe so, but I mean, do you think uh, who made the decision to give 
Cedric Suarez a four-year deal? Was it Adu? Was it Sanye? Was it the pair of them? Was it the three of them? Did they have a nice, you know, picnic on Hampstead Probably. Heath? And I mean, I, don't, I can't say, obviously, you know, officially, I don't know. But I, I don't think, I've never, ever at any point had any suggestion for the club that Edu and Sanyehi weren't on the same page. Mm. I, I've never, ever heard anything to say, yeah, Edu's furious about Cedric Suarez getting this many years. No way. Not anything like it. Mm. Being completely with a compl- presented with a completely united front. So you may be right, and maybe Edu is incredibly conscientious about the club's money and where it goes and is wary of giving these longer deals to younger people to older players and has just been steamrolled by Rasenia. Well, well I only meant that in terms of the, the seniority that Sanyehi had. Like it was Sanyehi who brought Edu to the club. Well you know, let it, me tell you this. If Sanyehi was not stopping Edu doing those things, or if you know, no one's stopping him now. Vinay's not gonna go I think that should be a two year deal actually, mate. Do you know what I mean? So Well somebody should be. Somebody, well, that's, this is this is a gap. This is a problem. Well, the, well, no, to my mind, that's Edu's job. He is a director of the club. Sure. He sure, has okay. to protect the, you know, the like I say, the mid-term prospects. And, and, balance, and, and Huss as well is involved in this, but balance the financial dimension. Uh, it, is, it is alarming, shall we say, that that decision was made. I, I, I you know... And I and I and I say that knowing that Willian is here, and I'm actually excited to watch Willian play. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be good next year for sure. I think he's better than what we've got. But I'm still worried about yeah. how that deal came to pass. I think that's fair. Um, I have a question here. It comes from our Discord, um, and it says uh, it's from Kieran E, who says, uh, "Goodly morning, goodly morning to you, Kieran." He says, "If we don't have a scouting network." <laughs> and we don't have Sanyehi's little black book. What does this mean for transfers in the short slash mid term? Um, and, and I think it's as, uh, it's worth pointing out as well that you know one of the things and one of the concerns um, that people have had is the the marginalisation of a the scouting network, but b the the data side um, of our recruitment. Um, pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm was marginalized so we don't have scouts the data guys are pissed off um the head of football is now gone you know what what are we doing now in terms of how we recruit and and i i think the other thing to point out as well is that if we're going to be critical or if we're going to give um not give him a pass but if we're going to point out that Sanyehi his job wasn't to run a football club it was to do deals that other people were going to put in place that was that was him he was a fixer uh, you know that guy mm-hmm. Edu is not a talent spotter that's not mm. his role he's an administrator he's like he's close to the squad he spends time around them he's like um like a liaison officer in some respects operations operations partly, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he manages uh, the staff yeah. as well. He, he yeah. has a close relationship with all the. So that's staff. that's kind of his job. So who's who's out there looking for the players and identifying the talent? Is that not as it stands? If we're talking about the structures and the new structures that we might put in place, the biggest gap in the current setup. 
Chief Scout, Chief Scout Kia, surely, uh, <laughs> solves that problem. No, I think, um, look, clearly it's a, a bizarre situation Arsenal find themselves in. Having effectively dismissed their entire scouting team, uh, it is strange. Now, I appreciate there are factors that make scouting particularly in person, more difficult at the moment in this COVID landscape. I mm. recognise that. But Arsenal do need to identify talent. And it may not be in this uh, window, you know, but they may know who they want in this window. In fact, we, we understand they do want know who they want in this window. It's going forward. Um, I mean, a lot of work has gone into Arsenal's talent identification department for kind of 17 to 23-year-olds, kind of development players, that has been something that Edu has kind of uh, evolved. You know, there were a lot of changes at that level with Steve Morrow moving on and others, but he has brought other people in, promoted other people. There is an emphasis on um, video scouting, I understand, at that level. I do wonder if he's going to try and replicate that uh, in the first team, but that is a process. It takes time and we will have to wait and see. I mean, it's not going to happen in this window. That is for sure. Arsenal will be going on reports they already have, targets they already have. Where did um, they come from? Well, <laughs> a mixture of places, but certainly some of them the scouting department. I mean, you know, we've reported that. Thomas Party was recommended by uh, the scouting department, watched personally by Francis Cagagao in Spain many, many, many times. Uh, Gabrielle, of uh, Lille is another player who was highly recommended by the outgoing scouts. So, you know, clearly there was a reliance on on that facility. Um, I wonder, do, even if it wasn't central to the plan. Sure. I wonder, do Lille need thirty million pounds this summer? I wonder, is that it? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, you know, we understand yeah, yeah. that's a very real prospect. Um, yeah, that deal. So, and you know. I can get behind that. I think he looks like an interesting player and he is the right kind of age profile. He's sort of 23, 24, you know, athletic, great. But uh, it will be fascinating to see how Arsenal go about this recruitment process. It's Edu's baby now. I mean, phew, there's no one else's voice really in there to contest him. Mm. He can make of it what he wants. So... I suppose if we're having this conversation about Edu saying, well, we don't know much about him, you know, what's he actually done? What can he take responsibility for? In six to 12 months time, we will be in a far better position to make that judgment. Yeah, yeah. That's it, a guarantee. It does feel like maybe if you're if you're looking at it um, positively, a slate has been wiped clean to an extent and now there's a chance well, to, to, to rebuild. Be. You know, I, you know. Even though, though I'm sort of, you know, expressing these concerns, I am prepared to sort of have an open mind about it and say, right, come on then, Edward, let's see what you've got. And I do think that drawing a line under the way the recruitment process was being run by removing Sanya, he, as we said earlier, Edu's not stupid. He has to realise, you know, what is going to be acceptable within these parameters. And if if that means an agent you've got a really close relationship has the right player for you and they are the right price on the right length of contract, then mm. by all means, go and do it. Mm. But if not, don't. Mm. Should be straightforward, really, doesn't it? It makes it sound very simple when you put it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You've sorted I mean, it all out. <laughs> yeah. 
let's have a look for another question. Uh, I liked. I was interested by this question. Guru Twitter, who's at Pradeep Kachala, says. Tim Lewis is a lawyer who specialises in sales and acquisitions of companies. Is there any chance he's gearing up the club for a sale, hence his appointment? I was literally going to ask you a similar question from the Facebook from Kevin McOwen, right. who says, does the appointment of a mergers and acquisitions expert, Tim Lewis, to seemingly clean up the club and make it leaner, not indicate that the Cronkies are preparing to sell the club? Um, mm. I hadn't considered that. I hadn't considered that. I I don't know definitively, but I do feel like his appointment was basically putting somebody that they trust in at ground level to be their eyes and ears on the ground because they had concerns about the way things were going and mm-hmm. they needed somebody they could trust to come back to them and report um, what was going on or to... Uh, you know, to dismiss some of the things that they had heard or confirm some of the things that they had heard, whatever it might be. I feel like it was that more than more than trying to sell the club. But I mean, mm. nothing would surprise me at this point. But I, I don't, I don't think, um, you know, from everything that they've said, they are actively trying to do that at this moment in time. I could be wrong. No, nor do I. I nor do wrong. I. And I've heard nothing to suggest that. If I was being talking in a sort of speculative fashion, I would say if the Cronkies had to sell an asset, I do wonder if Arsenal might be the one, given that it's outside of the US. It probably, I mean, think of the headache it causes us. Imagine the headache it causes them. Um, mm. I do wonder if, and you know, what's happening in terms of slimming the company down, you know, that could be seen as lining it up for a takeover. But I haven't heard anything to that effect. Um, and, you know, we always have to look at the Crocky's track record here, which is that they don't sell mm. their franchises, if you'll forgive the word. So, yeah, I, I'm not so sure. But it would be... It's not It's not a bad theory, though, is it? I mean, it's a decent shout. Yeah, I mean... The questions. Yeah, particularly uh, at the moment when there are financial implications in the big stadium in LA that's, you know, way, 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 way over budget. Um, exactly. And if there are financial pressures, then certainly Arsenal is probably the most valuable one um, outside of the, the LA Rams. You know, maybe the, I could be wrong about some of the American ones. Maybe they would just deliver more because of the way that, that American sports operate. But, you know, this this is one which would uh, allow them, if they were to sell, for example, they could consolidate all their efforts within the US rather than have to keep looking across the Atlantic. So, um Look, wait and see. But I don't think that's why they appointed Tim Lewis. I, I think it was more to do with with looking at what was happening and, and seeing what needed to happen. And I think um, what happened at the weekend was something that, that needed to happen. Um, mm. We have a question here from the Discord from Cluck the Rotisserie Chicken, who says, does it give you any assurance that Vinay has been at the club for 10 years, as he repeatedly pointed out in his interview? Does that qualify him for Arsenal DNA? And do you think he might be more motivated to progress the club than Sanyehi, who was a Barcelona man? I don't think that uh, that should matter massively. In terms of, you know, the fact that Sanye was from Barcelona, I don't think is what led to his uh, 
it not working out particularly. I, as I said earlier, I think there might have been a bit of a culture clash. I mean, I mean, Vinay will understand the culture of the club and I think maybe uh, will have success in terms of managing up and managing down as a consequence of that. But this is a huge role for him now. It was a big role before. It's even bigger now. I think everyone thinks he's a great guy. I think people think he's very astute. But like everyone else in this new setup, he is still being assessed, right? And the jury kind of has to be out. Um, I did like his interview, I have to say. I thought what he said about, you know, the club improving the way they communicate with fans was promising and shows an awareness, I think, of some of the problems that have existed between the club and its supporters. Um, So I'm encouraged by that. And, you know, uh, yeah, he's got a, a pretty clean slate in my book. Um, so we'll see what we get. I mean, I don't. It's difficult for me to sort of say more definitively than that, really. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know either. Like you, everyone I speak to uh, about him says he's a good guy, and they have a lot of respect for him. Um, you know, he's quite young still. Uh, you might wonder if he's got the the authority or the gravitas, you know, to be to be that guy to to fulfil that role. Um, and I suppose if we're going to have concerns about Edu, mm-hmm. given his proximity to the previous setup, Vinay was part of that as well. So I can understand why people would, would have some doubts. I mean, I, I sort of expect a few more appointments to be made. Um, in what sort of areas? I don't know. I mean, I wonder if we might appoint somebody in an am- ambassadorial role. Um, to the board, I, like you said earlier, the the, the AST have been uh, championing greater inclusivity and greater diversity in terms of yeah. the faces and the people who are on the board. Um, so that might be something that the the club consider at this moment in time. Um, I just wonder if there might be somebody with with big football experience, whether they're an, uh, an Arsenal person or not, who might be useful in this current setup um but then it's a delicate one isn't it if you've got a manager if you've got a technical director where does somebody else fit into that i i feel as i said earlier the 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 recruitment side of things is where we have the the biggest and most obvious gap right now what i'm hearing andrew is wenger in that's what i'm hearing (laughs) no not at all not at all um uh yeah no i know but it's it is. It becomes an interesting one because if you do bring in someone in that role, what is that role, and mm. um, does it then leave us in that similar situation where it's kind of impossible to judge Edu? You know, uh, it's a really, it's a really interesting one. Yeah, too many cooks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, the thing is, as a fan, the guy I have got my faith in is is Mikel. Yeah. And the reason I had to do that is because he managed to win a trophy in the most tumultuous half season you could ever expect in his first ever job as a manager. Um, He has earned that, I believe. And I basically, without wishing to sound too much like I've sort of gone mad and got blind faith, I kind of think... I trust his. I, I, I sort of trust his judgment at this point in until it goes wrong. Do you feel like he might have some sort of an input into the way the the club will be structured? 
Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I was trying to say when I sort of said, you know, if he's got someone in mind as technical director, I do think he came from a club that had a really clear executive structure and quite a dense one too at Manchester City with lots of people filling different roles but a clear complicity between them. And I don't think he is adverse to those relationships. I don't think he wants to be arson Mm. necessarily I think that he's happy to work with people if he thinks they share his vision and he thinks that they're competent and I you know one of the things I hope the club does is I hope they conduct sort of exit interviews with people who have left in this period not not just Raul obviously but also uh, people from the scouting department you know if I were them I would be sounding out people and saying look what do you think went wrong at this club. What do you think we could do better? I think that's good practice. Um, whether they will, I've got absolutely no idea. Mm. But I, I, I would be doing that and I would be speaking to people who are still there. I'd be speaking to Mikel. I'd be asking him about his experience at Manchester City. You know, Arsenal do need to... This has. We're saying the structure hasn't worked and that is right, but the structure has been an absolute mess. I mean, it's been a sort of cavalcade of different people being promoted and fired. I mean, you know... What never was tested was Ivan Gazidis, Rausenier and Sven Mislintat. That that had no real uh, run to, to assess it. Um, and I'm not saying it would have worked, but that was the original plan. And kind of everything since then has been a bit of a fudge, to be honest. That, I mean, w- when it was put in place, after you have a manager like Wenger, it felt like a good idea. Mm. You've got the chief executive You've got the head of recruitment and you've got the head of football relations as he was back then, but he was the guy who was going to get the deals done. So you have this trio working in tandem. Obviously, it didn't work out. I mean, do you look back on... Do you look back on the departure of Mislintat with regrets? Because I know people will say, well, what did he bring to the club? Uh, you know, Obama Yang, Socrates, anyone could have brought you two experienced players like that. There was obviously Torreira was uh, a player who we were excited about, but didn't quite work out. Genduzzi, again, similar, a player who, who looked uh, who looked good um, and was sort of the, the kind of signing that you were looking at Arsenal trying to make. Um, Mm. I you know I feel like he only really had one window at Arsenal, um, and in it, I mean I the know summer, he brought Obama the in summer, the summer yeah, and he brought in Leno, who's been very good. Torreira people liked, but we've um, had controversial opinions about him in the not too distant past. Um, Ganduzi, that was not so much a, a player quality issue as a character issue, whatever's gone on there. Licksteiner, a short um, uh, a short term cover for right back. And then uh, what did we do? Who was the other one? Socrates, right? Who, you know, on paper, 29 years of age, decent centre half. I don't think Socrates is the greatest player in the world, but I don't think Socrates uh, has been anywhere near as bad as uh, Luis. I don't think he's been anywhere near as bad as Mustafi has been for us down the years. So I think he's slightly unfairly maligned, if not the world's greatest player. But but after that, you know, Mislintat had no input whatsoever into the January window, apart from saying, do not sign Denis Suarez. Mm. And then he's gone. So you can't really judge the work that he's done in that role because he just did not have enough time and was not given the freedom to work the way that he 
um, should have been allowed work because this power struggle was ongoing between himself and Sanyehi. So do you, yeah. have, do you have regrets about Mislintat in that sense? Because it feels to me like, you know, even if it's not Sven who's the guy, his approach and his methods are much more in tune with what a modern football club should be doing. Yeah, and to be clear, I mean, if we could hire someone like Sven as our chief scout now, I'd be all for it. But Sven didn't want to be a chief scout. You know, ultimately he wanted to be a technical director and that's, you know, I think what saw Raoul basically push him out. I think it's tricky because people will always say he just signed all the old boys from Dortmund, right? And to an extent, there is some truth in that. I mean, Henrik Mkhitaryan arrived in January 2018, but I'd say there were particular circumstances to that deal in terms of what we had to try and get done with Manchester United. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put any of that on on Mislintat. I think it no, was I just, wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I yeah. think it was just circumstance. Aubameyang. I mean, probably the best signing Arsenal have made in the last I don't know mm. five years in terms of what he's contributed to the club. Um, when you go into that summer, I mean, people will point out Lichtsteiner, but Lichtsteiner was a free and it was a one-year deal with an option, wasn't it? So he left yeah. at the end of that. I mean, it's not exactly three years for, for Willian in the same age bracket. It was one year. It didn't work out. He went. It cost us, in real terms, very, very little. Um, and actually, even the players that we're talking about from that summer that we're like, well, they didn't really work out. So look at the three... Sets Socrates to one side. He was an ageing centre-half. Um, I think you can question the wisdom of that decision, but that's what Arsenal wanted, an experienced centre-half. Leno, Torreira, Ganduzi. Now, two of those three players, we'd say, haven't worked out. But I think it's incredibly likely that Arsenal would make a profit on all three of them. Mm. And yeah. that is credit to Mislintat. And that's what we're talking about in terms of trying to take a medium-term view and sign players who, even if it doesn't necessarily work, you are given a measure of protection. Um, and in that summer window, I think he did manage to do that. Now, I guess my overall feeling is he didn't have long enough for us to really know what he would have done mm. with Arsenal. I think we do know enough to say that he had pretty different plans for the January window that followed. And when we ended up with Denis Suarez, um, that would have been probably more beneficial to us. But, uh, yeah, it's a really good point you make about Edu not being the talent spotter. And as long as you're not that person, and if you don't have the facility to that to do make that through other people who you appoint, you are vulnerable to a third party, an agent, an intermediary saying, well, what about this bloke? Mm. Yeah. I think. Um, but, I mean, you know, this is... It, it's it, like we say we what the point we were making is we never saw that structure really function you know yeah i mean i it always felt to me like the potential for um, on paper it made sense on paper it made sense but human nature being human nature you know who who was going to have the power were they all happy to share the power it turned out that wasn't the case. You know, there was a power vacuum when Wenger left, and and I think we're only just coming out of it now with the de the departure of Sanyehi. So mm. it is a is a weird um, one. A slightly more lighthearted question from Doctor Zebra on Twitter, who says, "Hey guys, how fun has it been seeing the favourites lose in Europe?" 
Should the format change to a single match and then the real chicken dipper on Patreon chips in? Uh, all this serious stuff aside, isn't it hilarious to think we've now had a more successful season than everyone except Liverpool in the Premier League? I guess that means in terms of trophies. In terms of trophies, yeah. <laughs> financially and what it might mean financially next season, I suppose you could make the case for for the, the teams that finished in the Champions League. It's funny. Of course it's it funny. It is funny. I've it's, really enjoyed no it, I have to say. Um, I, do you know what? I haven't really watched any of it. Have you not? No, because I keep forgetting it's on and stuff, and it's on weird times, and then it's like, I, I just haven't watched any of the Champions League at all. Right. That's it's been weird. quite good fun, I would say. I yeah. mean, the games have been enjoyable. I loved Guardiola's face when Man City <laughs> went out. That was great to see. Uh, Man U fans all up in arms and Paul Scholes saying the solution is just to spend more money after they went out against Sevilla. By the way, Arsenal wanted Munchie, didn't they, for the technical director role? I mean, who knows what sort of authority he would have been granted to do that job at Arsenal. Uh, But he has done a sensational job at Sevilla, building a really good squad very, very quickly. I was always slightly... Not concerned, but I wondered why, at the 11th hour, Manchi turned the job down. Because it, mm. was, it was as good as done. It yeah, was as yeah. good as done. Arsenal thought they had him, for sure. And then he changed his mind. I mean, do you wonder... I mean, now it's hard not to wonder if he looked at what sort of a role he would be allowed to carry out. You know what I mean? Did he look at it and mm. go, well, what's the fucking point? If they're just going to sign clients from one or two agents, what's the point of me doing any work here? Because I'm yeah, not going to be mean, allowed to have an impact. He wants to be the most senior football voice, right, uh, at his club, and he is that at Sevilla. And funnily enough, that's what Edu is now, now that he's now that Raul's gone. Except, um, except they do two very different things. They do two very different things, exactly. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, it would have been an, another fascinating sort of reality timeline where uh, he was appointed Arsenal see where that would have taken us probably Unai leading us to glory uh, right now but um, yes I have been watching the Champions League I have been thoroughly enjoying it Uh, I've even enjoyed some of the Europa League which is an impressive feat do I think that the format should change to a single game yes Uh, I mean there's only one reason why it's not and that's TV yeah. Two-legged yeah. semi-finals, bullshit. Play a semi-final, I, get it over with. I have to say I actually like what what it is now. So I like the neutral venue and I like the one leg. I think it is a lot more dramatic. And I think, you know, having it at one ground or the other, as you do in the FA Cup, I think that's fine. But I think, you know, there'll always be that thing of, oh, well, we were unlucky with the draw. We got two away games or something. I think having it neutral is good. So if I was sort of reimagining the Champions League... I would probably have the group stages or some nonsense like that so that everyone can still make their money and they can get all their TV rights and then keep the knockout period or a portion of the knockout period for this kind of Mm. playoff mini tournament where, you know, everyone could just sort of swim around in money for a week um, and keep that away from the domestic leagues. So let me ask you this, based on Mm. the, the semi-finals... Who would you like to see win the Champions League? Because, look, clearly Bayern Munich, no. Are the best team. Yeah. <laughs> oh, clear, yeah. Then you've got PSG. 
Like, how can anybody be happy that PSG won anything, unless you're a PSG fan? So then yeah. you've got Leon and disgustingly sweet energy drink Leipzig. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on for Leon here because, uh, because of the Arsenal connection with the Jeff in midfield. Of course. Imagine the Jeff. The Jeff leaves Arsenal for a million pounds and ends up winning the fucking Champions League the next season, having been transferred for 25-odd million pounds. That's not great. Anyway, I'd like it. Yeah, Leon, I think, are going to be the neutrals' favourite, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, Leipzig are fun to watch, but there are reasons that people, you know, object to them. I mean, I'm just glad it's not City. I find City's sort of dominance very dull, and it amuses me that they can't win the Champions League despite their best efforts. Yeah, he's Um, got a he's got a what do you call it? He's bald. Yeah, he is bald. Very bald. Yeah. He's got a bald spot when it comes to the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like a mental block or something like that, but there's something there's something fundamentally wrong with him in the Champions League, isn't there? It's so childish, the bald thing. I mean, I, I fully recognise that I'm bald too, and I've never won a Champions League either. But yeah, I, I do Yeah, but enjoy... you've never failed to win a Champions League, James. Exactly. Exactly. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if Bayern Munich win it, I can completely make my peace with that because they are the best, you know. And I suspect they will win it. Serge um, Gnabry left Arsenal. Yes, for exactly. It's Gnabry versus Jeff in the Champions League semi-final. Painful, painful to watch. Mm, OK, I've got one final one before we go. Yeah. It comes from Twitter from Chocolate Whiskey Nuts, who's at Nuts Whiskey. And he says, what do you think of the Anelka documentary on Netflix? Uh, of all the current Arsenal players, who, who would interest you to have a documentary filmed? I haven't seen the Anelka thing. Have you? Yeah, I watched it over the weekend. Um, Is it any good? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I mean, he's a bit like, well, I acted terribly, but then so did they. And that made me act terribly even more. And sure. now I probably shouldn't have done that. But I'd still do it again. Because that's who I am. But, you know, it was. I thought it was interesting. I think he's a, a fairly interesting character. Pretty much everybody who's on there, and there's like Arsene Wenger, Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry, Robert Perez, right. uh, Didier Drogba. There's even some William Gallas, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say. But pretty much everybody says, like, he is just the most misunderstood guy uh, that there is. He's a really good mm. guy and, you know, um, and everything else. But, you know, he just has this sort of aspect to his character, which I think we we were all able to see throughout his career. Um, Wenger says at one point, he says, like, he's had a great career. He's had a great career. Look, let's not beat around the bush. He's had a great career. But if you ask me, like, deep in my heart, could there have been more? I would say yes, without question. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing here. And I think that's the thing that, that occurs to me that, you know, it's not even the advice of his brothers who I think were perhaps a little unfairly maligned at the time. Um, It's him. You know, he just has this aspect to his character, which is in some ways confrontational or he won't back down when he feels like he's been wronged in certain ways. Uh, The the whole thing around the French team and the World Cup in in South Africa is very, very interesting as well. So I watched it. Uh, I think it maybe glossed over one or two things a little bit easily, but... I thought it was I thought it was really watchable. He's an interesting character. I kind of liked him in it. I, I wasn't sure if I would or not. Um, so yeah, 
I, I'll uh, check it out. I, 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 I recommend it, genuinely. I do recommend it. I mean, there's not a huge amount of Arsenal in it, but um, there's enough Arsenal faces that pop up throughout to make it, you know, to make that connection. And it's a, it's a good watch. Yeah, I, I saw it being criticised because he didn't sort of address the canal controversy. He uh, did. I mean, it does. It does, does it? it? He does address it. Um, I'd, I sort of need to go back and remind myself of the ins and outs and the details of it as well, though. Right. Um, right. Because I can't quite remember, you know, some things are left quite vague as to the 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 gesture itself and... Yeah, you know the significance, the significance of it, and the context of it, and that kind of stuff, um, and his connection with that guy. Who I think he was a, was he a comedian or something like that in yeah, France. So yeah. I need to go back and read over that. But they do talk about it. He does talk about it in the okay. um, in the thing. So, what was the second part of the question? Who would I like to see a documentary on? Yeah, um, I guess it's like whoever it is well, now. I tell you what. I mean, we're not far off the Wenger book, which <laughs> which will be another uh, big story, I'm sure, when that drops in Arsenal's uh, season. Um, who would I like to see a documentary on? I mean, there's a lot of people, to be honest. I really enjoyed the Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira one. I don't know if you saw yeah. that, that they did on ITV. That was quite a good summation. But I think the question is about which of the current players would you like to oh, see a documentary? Oh, current players. Oh, I don't care about them. Uh, no, I would, I would choose. Um, who would I choose? Let's have a look. You got anyone in mind? I, I, I'm not saying that uh, he would be my favourite or anything like that, but I do wonder if a David Luiz documentary might be quite fun. Yeah, in sure. terms of you know his career and the career he's had um, in England, in France, you know, working uh, or in Brazil with the Brazil national team as well. I think it could be an interesting one. I think Aubameyang obviously would be an interesting one too. Beyond that, it's hard to sort of get yourself up for behind the scenes 90 minutes of Mohamed El Neni, for example. Sure. You know. Well, maybe we'd learn something. We don't know. You never know. Uh, I mean, you know, Hector would be interesting, I think, because he's got quite an interesting life and a lot of a, you know, broad um, mm. uh, interest. So I think that would be quite a good one. But yeah, I mean, you know, let's wait until the end of their careers when we can sort of more establish who's who are the, the kind of cult figures. The end of their careers? Well, Willie and it is then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well we kid, we kid. Okay, look, we are going to leave it there uh, for this particular episode. Thank you as ever for being here. Thanks for listening. Um, for Patreon members, we'll do something midweek for you as well, a transfer pod. So get on board if you like, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Um, don't forget to check out James's article today in The Athletic along with uh, Amy and David Ornstein. Very well-written piece on the whole Sanyahi issue as well if you need more to read about that. Uh, but again, thanks a million. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.